Welcome to Confluence, an IASH-sponsored podcast that explores various public humanities projects on the Binghamton University campus and elsewhere. I'm so happy we are joined by Dr. Brian Kishan and Dr. Dina Dinan, professors at Binghamton University, who, in addition to their various scholarly interests, also co-direct Binghamton University's Ladino Collaborative or the Ladino Lab which is an initiative that offers undergraduates, graduate students and faculty training in reading Ladino texts and paleography. The co-directors of Ladino Collaboratory, Dr. Kirshen and Dr. Danen, share with us the motivation and inspiration behind this project. They talk about how the project started, the friendships that have blossomed across age or cultural barriers through this project, the way that this project has not just morphed with the onset of COVID, but also acted as a way for people involved to build community and resilience during this difficult time. Could you share with our audience what the Ladino Collaboratory is all about? Okay, sure, I'd be happy to. And first, thank you for including us in your, um, in your, in your podcast. We appreciate it. Our project, um, as you mentioned, the Ladino Collaboratory or the Ladino Lab is an IASH-sponsored public humanities initiative to teach and educate and share the world of Ladino and, and the Sephardi world with our students, faculty and staff, whoever is interested on a language and um, a language that's considered endangered, a language that is spoken and has been spoken by Sephardi Jews following their expulsion from Spain. and primarily throughout, uh, who have lived throughout the Ottoman Empire for centuries, Turkey and the Balkans. Um, we work with students every week for the past three years. We have been training our students uh, primarily on how to read, but also at times how to speak this Spanish-like language, which is known as Ladino or Judeo-Spanish, um, but has been written traditionally in Hebrew-based characters. So throughout the pandemic, we have been meeting either online or at times in person and creating a number of opportunities for students and faculty to not only interact with us and to learn about Ladino, but also to interact uh, with speakers of the language today. That's amazing. Um, you said earlier that it's been three years since you've been doing this project. And I think we spoke about this when we were not recording also about like how this, um, once the project started, COVID hit and then things had to probably change from how you envisioned them. Could you talk about that a little bit, how COVID maybe changed your plans for the project and how this project may have had a role to play in people coping with COVID also? Yeah, I love that question um, because we, we got the we got the grant and then, yeah, COVID kind of exploded. And so we were forced to rethink, you know, we, Zoom was just like, I guess, something people had dabbled in, but it wasn't a default for anyone. And so we, you know, had to quickly pivot online. But we found, I think, in that enormous opportunities for for the for the project because we were able to we were able to build a community that was really international. Those, you know, we we were able to pair speak, we were able to pair students with speakers all over the world, thanks to Zoom. Um and I don't think that we had even considered that. I don't know, I, I'm not sure, you know, we hadn't really had a chance to really map out the logistics, you know, before, you know, before the pandemic broke broke out. So um, I think 
we were able to sort of capitalize on, on Zoom and actually were better off. I think the project was better off for it. And I could just speak personally and say like those early days of 2020, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I looked forward to it. It was like, it's just such a special project because the students don't get credit for it. You know, these are students that are passionate, they're engaged, they're interested, like they're here just to learn, you know? And it, it's just created this really fun, warm, welcoming environment that I, I looked forward to in, in the, I mean, I continue to look forward to it, but it was especially precious in that, in those early days where, you know, things were just, felt like they were spinning out of control. And um, we had this sweet little community online. Um, that, uh, and we we occasionally include our 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 speakers in events. We had them come speak a couple times. Like we we do these um, end of year um, programs um, where the students have demonstrated you know demonstrated all that they've learned. They've written poetry. They've performed. Um, they've performed um, short scenes from plays. Like they've 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 performed musical pieces um, drawing on Ladino repertoire. So um, it's been, it's been beautiful, actually. Yeah, I would agree. And I would, I think that, you know, as Dina said, that this isn't a class. So for people, it's an outlet to, to learn about something that interests them, but maybe, but in a way that's not stressful, and in a way that is even enjoyable. And I think that that's something we've seen with Ladino and Ladino interests over the past few years, that there's really this resurgence of interest and also opportunity for people, not just at our university, but beyond to learn about Ladino and to connect with speakers. And really, um, if there is a silver lining, it's that, you know, students, you know, we meet every week um, with our students. So that's really the main component of our Ladino lab. But as far as connecting with speakers through our apprenticeship program, which is really just a subset of our members, um, you know, what better way to connect them through Zoom, uh, regardless, right? I mean, this was, this allowed Dean and I to kind of think a little bit beyond the initial scope of the project in the sense that, you know, what can we do through Zoom? And this was a great way to facilitate meaningful relationships and interactions with speakers outside of the university. Yeah, and, and Brian actually did a, a really great thing um, earlier, um, earlier this semester with Zoom, where the students visited uh, a museum over Zoom, you know, like they were able to visit the Tenement Museum and meet the, um, the, Victoria, right? Victoria Confino. Um, so, you know, that would never have occurred to anybody that that would have been possible three years ago. So. Yeah, that was fabulous. I think you sent a thing out and I was able to attend that. That was really, really impressive. And I um, quite envied the undergraduates who got the opportunity to see that when they were in their undergraduates, you know, I, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. When, when you were just saying that, um, when you were just describing the project, you said that you pair students with speakers of the language today. Um, and I was wondering if you have witnessed in any of these pairings, the students and the speakers develop any relationships beyond just the learning of the language. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, we have actually. I mean, I, I mean, Brian could probably speak to this too, but... Um, Brian has has um, spearheaded the language apprenticeship program, and so I know that he takes special care in matching um, the language partners. So we sort of look for people with shared interests, or you know, who come at Ladino with maybe a similar 
background. Um, and so we've seen these amazing friendships kind of blossom between um, just because of the way Ladino is and its history and where it stands right now, many speakers are are older. <laughs> um, and so we've, we've, um, it's been amazing to see these relationships between like college kids and, um, <laughs> and older adults around the world. Um, I should say that we've sort of begun to think more expansively about what um, a native speaker, um, what a language partner might look like. And so we've started to include speakers who might've come to Ladino, maybe heard it growing up, but like had began to really learn it um, in, in seriousness as adults. And so, um, you know, we, we, we have a kind of broader range of, of, of language pairs right now, um, where we have maybe speakers who, again, started to learn it with more kind of regularity and, and, and in, in, um, maybe even semi-formal settings as adults. And so they, they sort of, um, have become, our language, what's our, I don't know, our language masters, our, our native speakers <laughs> or native adjacent speakers. <laughs> um, but it's been, it's been really cool to see the, to see the Binghamton students develop these relationships and they stay in touch. Like when they text each other and they, they stay in touch after, after the apprenticeship is, is formally over. <laughs> is it mostly undergraduates who take on these apprentices? Uh, yes, it's mostly undergraduates. We've had um, some faculty involved too, which has been amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, they... grad students have done, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we've had some grad students do the apprenticeship program also. Yeah. How, how many years has the project been going on now? So this is now our third year. Wow. I mean, if I may ask, what motivated you to start a project like this, something as unique as this? Um, well, I think it's it's Binghamton University is unique in some respects in the sense that um, I think it's quite rare to have faculty or so many faculty members who specialize in some aspect of the Ladino speaking world. Um, as Zina can tell you also, Binghamton University does have a history with Sephardi studies and just Ottoman studies and whatnot um, for decades now. So it's, it's not, um, so new, at least to the university. But when I started at Binghamton about eight years ago, I knew that Dina was here and I was excited to meet her or to potentially collaborate with her um, just because uh, she being a scholar of history, Sephardi history in particular, um, and me focusing my research on uh, linguistics and, and the language per se, um, it made total sense to collaborate and work together and share our love for the language which and, and the culture and history um, which we not only work with in our in our research, but also in our in our classes with our students. So, um, you know, after a number of discussions and and brainstorming sessions, we thought that working with IASH and um, applying for the um, a grant through the Public Humanities Initiative would be a great start. And this is really the first um, opportunity that we've had to put something together. And I think it's been very meaningful, not only for the two of us, but also for the participants of the Ladino Lab. And from what we're seeing also the um, speakers of the language who are not connected to the university, but are getting to learn about the university and our students and just interest in the language as well. Do you think that uh, the way that this project is borne out of your scholarly interests now moving into a public humanities realm, 
um, this project also has impacted some of the ways in which you think about your other scholarly projects? Um, I think that, you know, I, that's a great question. And there are always, I mean, ideally, there's a sort of symbiotic relationship between your kind of teaching portfolio and teaching agenda and your research agenda. And I, I see that, like, you know, um, the research that I'm doing now, I'm working on this project on um, the marketplace of matchmaking and marriage um, in the Ottoman Sephardi world. And so when I find a really cool source, um, I bring that to the Ladino lab <laughs> and uh, we practice reading that. And so that's been kind of really generative for me, but um, just in terms of the content, but I think also in terms of like, it, it's always helpful to sort of think about broader audiences for your scholarship, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the kind of, I mean, not to, I'm not trying to suggest that it's not important to sort of publish in, in scholarly venues. Of course it is. But I also think it's, especially for our field, which kind of exists in the margins of Jewish studies and the margins of Middle East studies. Um, and, you know, I, I have found that it's really important to sort of make a case why our case study, where I, where the, the diaspora that we study why it's important, not just because it existed, but because it helps us fill out the picture, because it, it helps us rethink, you know, a lot of the categories and questions that we treat as standard um, in Jewish history. Oftentimes these come from Western experiences. They come from, you know, the study of Western Europe or the study of Jews in the United States, right? And when we foreground Jews in the Islamic world, the Ladino speaking community in Ottoman lands, it forces us in a really healthy way to rethink assumptions about, you know, what did modernity mean to people outside of, you know, what, how did Jews become modern outside of the West? Um, and so, you know, what were their relationships like with their Muslim neighbors? Um, so, you know, that I think the Ladino lab kind of, you know, on the one hand, yes, we sort of, we can become, I don't know, technocrats and sort of studying the paleography and decoding it and, you know, becoming it. And I do find that really rewarding, but I think the challenge is also to sort of take that and make a broader case for its significance to people outside our immediate field. Um, so that's my take on, on the, on the issue. <laughs> I don't, Brian, I don't know if you want to follow up or. Sure. So within the field of linguistics or Hispanic linguistics or even Judeo-Spanish linguistics, um, variation is really important. And so one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do also co-leading or co-directing this initiative with Dina is, is to explore more um, this concept of variation. You know, we work with speakers of Ladino um, outside of this group um, from all over. Um, and we've incorporated speakers from Ladino of Ladino from um, from Greece, from Turkey, and even a uh, speaker of, well, we would say maybe Judeo-Spanish or Hakatia from um, Morocco originally. So seeing that variation has been very useful to me, especially as I continue to document and examine or even analyze um, the varieties of this language. And I think it's also been meaningful for students as well to just kind of deconstruct uh, preconceived notions of what language is, like Dina had mentioned before, um, especially a language like this, which belongs to a number of different language families and a very different um, status in regard to vitality. So I think it's been very productive in that regard. That sounds great. That that sounds like a really productive process for you, as well as the uh, people who have participated in the project so far. 
Is there anything that you maybe want to say to the audience who might listen to you talk about the Ladino Lab, who probably haven't heard about it before, and who might be interested maybe in this project? I would invite them to come join us. <laughs> um, and I'd say this is the, I guess this is the last year of the grant, but I don't think it's the last year for our project or our initiative on campus. And so um, we're always eager to meet students who might be interested. And um, there's, you know, there are no prerequisites. There's no requirements. It's just come out of just the sheer um, love of learning and curiosity. And that's all. No one needs to know anything about Ladino before showing up. So we're delighted to have you. Yeah. And while we don't have a, a large social media presence at this point, we can be contacted <laughs> at ladino at binghamton.edu. So ladino at binghamton.edu. And we will be happy to share news of all that we're doing or things on the horizon. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing everything about the uh, project and about your personal interest and how everything here has evolved. It was really wonderful to have you on this podcast. Thank you so Thank much. You. Merci,